Hello, and welcome to Repertory Screenings, episode 23. I'm your host, M, and with me are my regular co-host, Jackson. Hello! And Destiny. Howdy. And we're here to talk about movies! It's movies time. Who's seen a movie? Not me. Destiny, you get to go first. Um, the last movie I watched was a TV movie called diagnosis murder or no wait prognosis murder you know what i can't remember the actual name diagnosis but is it a show. Was the... yes diagnosis murder is a show but uh yes it must be prognosis murder anyway it was the pilot tv movie from 1968 that launched columbo with peter falk and it was an amazing bit of like 60s wonderfulness and i enjoyed it very much we also watched um Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection. Yes, which is th- those are both pretty bad titles for middling films. I would go so far as to say both of those were pretty bad. I didn't hate them as much as you did. I I I liked them more than the uh I think I liked the weird much worse movies in the middle. They were at least like trying for weird stuff, then I liked those. Okay. I thought the, the latter films were interesting responses to both Scream and the fact that there were, you know, two bad sequels before it. <laughs> mm, I think I think the response to, of making bad, like, seeing that there were bad, weird movies is to make bad, boring movies is not a good response. <laughs> True. I don't know. I, I didn't hate them. I, I think they could have been better, but I didn't hate them. Um. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think Lori Strode is interesting. So anything about her, I'm automatically there. Mm-hmm. Um, the part where Lori Strode is like five different stories that are incompatible, given that the franchise went the way it did, is very funny to me. I mean, you just have to pretend that the other movies didn't exist in yes, no, order it, to enjoy them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying it's like hard to like parse it or like enjoy. It's just, it's funny. Um, only in horror movies would you just keep doing sequels to the original uh, in bad ways that don't work with each other. Until the most recent movie, but I'm already overselling it, so yeah. I'm going to stop. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to like it because you keep telling me it's great and that's never a great sign for me. <laughs> No, it's okay. That's all on you. That's not my problem. <laughs> um, I just, I've, I've heard from other people that it is not very good. So I had low expectations until you said it was really great. Now I don't know. I had completely no expectation. And then, so that's probably why my opinion of it is so high. Hmm. Jackson. Uh, the only movies that I've watched, we're probably not going to talk about, are the two, the first two Cars movies. Oh yeah, you you should listen to uh, "Life Is a Reprise Way." The <laughs> how, how, where do you even find that? You search "Totally Reprise" into yeah. into your podcast series of uh, podcast app of choice. Uh, it is the cars based uh, theming for the show "Totally Reprise." Now they finished "Totally Spies," uh, but it has the original name in in iTunes, and you can just go find that podcast and listen to them talk yeah. about cars. Um, yeah. Or if you mean, you can watch cars along with them. And um, I have to like you a lot to uh, be willing to watch fucking cars too. <laughs> yeah, no, I watch cars too uh, for our friend Molly and uh, your friend Molly and at your friend Molly on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and Cars 2 was fucking terrible. 
Um, it's it's awful. It's evil. It's a bad movie. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a movie that tries so hard to be about class that it ends up being about how race science is valid. It's a real fucking what? mess. Oh, we'll tell you later. What? Well, you you yeah. should go listen to this podcast because we cannot do Cars 2 right now. I don't know if I want to sit through Cars 2 is the thing. Oh, you, I, you I didn't shouldn't. even see the first one. You definitely should. The first one's awful as well. Uh, okay. Cars 2 makes Cars 1 look like a totally reasonable film. <laughs> Just a normal movie that's like a bit bad about class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Lasseter should not have been fired. He should have been shot. Yeah, <laughs> I mean for a lot of reasons. For a not lot of just reasons. For cars too. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, and then I watched uh, Samurai One Musashi Miyamoto, which is the yes, first of the Samurai trilogy uh, by Hiroshi Inagaki. Uh, this first one came out in 1954. These three movies are an adaptation of uh, Eiji Yoshikawa's novel Musashi about historical samurai uh, Miyamoto Musashi. Um, and are like, you know, samurai classics that I'd been meaning to get to. And the Criterion Channel had them all on there this month. So I was like, finally, I have no excuse. I could just put them on. Uh, and so I watched the first one and it's really good. Uh, it stars Toshiro Mifune. Um, being just a scoundrel, uh, the first one, he's a scoundrel. And by the end, he's going to be, you know, an enlightened samurai because that's who, uh, Musashi was historically. But, um, it's good. It's, it's got this like very, it's it's like the it's like the second Toho movie that was shot in Eastman color, um, which gives it like a very like mid century like European or American aesthetic to its like color quality. Because I'm so used to these movies being black and white, are then being like like 70s 80s color. That seeing a movie from the 50s in color just may, like feels different, unique for like what I've experienced out of Japanese film. Um, and it, it, because it's like a big, expensive samurai epic, it's just like huge landscapes and matte paintings and sets and, uh, looks incredible. Yeah, I have those three movies downloaded. I didn't realize that, that they were based on that novel, though. Yeah. Uh, you could totally read the novel first. It's like a thousand pages, so you shouldn't, but, um, the novel was uh, a formative experience for me at like 13 or 14 because I was into Stephen King and I was like, I want to read the biggest book in the library because I'm smart. And that's a thing you thought you have at 13. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And the biggest book that they had that looked appealing was uh, Musashi. So I picked it up and read it. <laughs> that, that's adorable. That worked out pretty um, well for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, got me into like Japanese literature uh, is probably part of the, like a big part of the reason that I'm Buddhist. Uh <laughs> very weird like side path into you know like we have an anime podcast i i feel like people would misconstrue us as like normal otaku based on that but no my way in was literature um that's how i've ended up here i have a uh, lot of feelings on mishima i mean books made you a weeb i mean my way in was digimon i am very normal i'm a very yeah. normal weeb <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's uh that's a good Cold War spy novel, a very normal weeb. (laughs) (laughs) I would read that book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of not film related, but I almost done with the book The Shining, which uh, I liked for the first two thirds. And then it got really bad towards the end. I'm almost done, but I really am just like skimming it, waiting for it to wrap up now uh, because Stephen King is bad at endings at the best of times. And way back in the seventies, he was way worse at them, honestly. Um, but, uh, it's weird. I think I like it more on the whole than Kubrick's film. 
uh, which is a movie I have a lot of problems with because I find it very hard to like invest in the characters because everyone's played really arch. Um, but the book I feel like gives you more of their interior life makes them like less likable, but in ways that I can relate to better. Uh, mm-hmm. They just feel human in a way that I don't think the yeah. movie does a good job of. Um, so I do recommend that. Uh, I want to watch Dr. Sleep. This is why I'm doing this because I know the movie Dr. Sleep tries to marry both the book and the movie into a like cohesive thing that happened to Danny Torrance. Um, I, that seems impossible, but I'm, I'm interested in watching them try. Yeah. You got to read Dr. Sleep first. No, no, no! I don't. I'm not going to read Doctor Sleep first. I'm going to because I know that the movie tries to do these things, and the book absolutely does not because Stephen King hated Kubrick's version and tries very hard to not reference any part of it for the sequel. Um, Everybody's got to ch- uh, check out that Stephen Weber TV movie adaptation. I'm not going to do that either. <laughs> Someone in Discord <laughs> joked about this, and I was like, "No, I don't think I'm going to do that." Thanks. I heard it was better than the Kubrick film, but, or you know what? I've seen it. I just don't remember it because I preferred the Kubrick film, but this was also me at like age, whatever, 15, Mm -hmm. 16. I was really, really young when I read the shining and I was really, really young when I saw both of those movies. I I know that it is like way more like, you know, beholden to the book. It's a much more literal adaptation. I know King likes it a lot, but I just can't imagine doing the shining as like a TV miniseries in a way that's going to be appealing to me. Um, I could be wrong, but I just, I just am not interested. I wish I could remember it better and I could tell you more, but I literally, all I remember is Steven Weber from TV's Wings was in it. Yep. <laughs> uh, so that's it. We should probably get into our movie. Yeah, we should. Movies. All right. So for our movie club this week, we watched Stalker, which is a 1979 film uh, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, a screenplay by Boris and Arkady uh, Strigatsky. Uh, apologies on all the Russian names here. Um, based on the 1972 novel Roadside Picnic, uh, seemingly very loosely based by everything I read, um, because that's literally about like aliens and a weird glowing sphere of magic or whatever it takes place over years um and jackson do you want to say briefly what this movie's about uh this movie is about the zone which is a place uh (coughs) sorry uh uh, a place where an event happened there's a text at the start saying that the event happened and it got locked off it was deliberately vague about what happened there as opposed to the book where it's just it was aliens um uh, doesn't someone say in the middle of the movie that a meteor crashed? Yes, there's yes, yes. Um, that that is. And then there's at the beginning he uh, there's a text that's like it might have been aliens, <laughs> I sort of something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, around this place, uh, it has been cordoned off. Uh, the military are around it, and um, a man who is called uh, only a stalker. Uh, is has the job of going inside this place and this is a very illegal job he doesn't have this by the government he is going to take people in uh he's going to take them in to a place called the room which is just a room in the middle of the of the zone uh where it is said that people's uh, truest desires can come can you know the most secret and uh tre- precious desires can be granted by this room in the middle of this uh unique magical uh zone and the bulk of the movie is him taking two people, the writer and the professor, uh, into the zone and leading them through its, uh, just through the traps, through the uh, weirdness of the space, guiding them um, through forests and uh, like tunnels 
and everywhere to make sure nothing goes wrong to to get to the room and find out uh and you know they can have their desires granted and uh in the end that's not what happens <laughs> um one of them reveals they've brought a bomb to blow it up and uh and they argue about whether we should, they should do that and they've been arguing about philosophy the whole time and eventually uh they decide not to and it cuts back and everyone's back uh, at home and uh, the stalker is broken from his journey <laughs> And that's basically the end of the movie. Uh, no, it is not. There are two key things that happen after that point. <laughs> um, which thing? I uh, can you do this bit? I don't want to get them oh, wrong. Oh, I can tell yes. you. Uh, well, one, uh, the stalker's wife consoles him yes. and then offers to go, and then she delivers a monologue straight to camera about why she married him and what was. It's it sort of inferred that the children of stalkers come out with like deformities and she was like i knew this i knew this going in i knew he was kind of no good but i knew that our life would be interesting and and full of sorrow but i wanted to go along with it because without sorrow there'd be no happiness and uh the other thing that happens is his daughter who is lovingly referred to as monkey moves some cups with her damn mind yep yep that's how the movie ends (laughs) well old old, ode to joy plays ode to joy kind of (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, it doesn't really play it just kind of gets sort of played out by these loud train noises yeah ambiently drifts into awareness and then out again yes uh which is uh, honestly uh, the entirety of stalker could be described as ambiently drifts into awareness <laughs> <laughs> it's like the whooshing sound in twin peaks yes. season three <laughs> uh so yeah I, Tarkovsky is interesting. I've only seen Solaris. I think I, I neither of you have seen other Tarkovsky movies. No, right? no, this is my okay. first, and I was like, God damn. Yeah, this is my first, and I was super. He's up there now. Uh, yeah, his general style is to hold shots as long as uh, it takes, and that means a long time. Um, and so the movie has it's like a very drifting, quiet, like sleepy. I say sleepy in a good way quality where I feel like I am being ensorcelled by the film. Um, just going along in the, this long journey that these men are on. Um, and I found it like super arresting, um, for, and like beautiful and quiet for what is kind of like a weird horror sci-fi movie, but never plays the scares as like tension building. It is just a reality of their situation that they are in a dangerous, scary spot. There's very little tension about where they're going and what they're going to face. There's a ton of tension between the three characters. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really interesting because, yeah, all the action seems to be internal as opposed to like big, you know, in, in any any other movie, especially like a modern American movie, they'd want you to see inside the room. They'd want you to see how crazy and weird everything is but in this movie you're left to imagine a lot of it i mean there are things that happen but a lot of it is in your mind and a lot of it is implied almost i i thought it was pretty tense i don't know um i was definitely getting uncomfortable like as the movie went on like at the start i was just enjoying the movie and kind of letting the pace of it sink into me but then by the end, I was like, oh, God, I feel like I've been through it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, when they finally get to the room. Sorry, I had a weird noise on my end. When they finally get to the room, uh, 
that's when it felt truly, truly tense. And then it's like, Professor's got a bomb. But uh, just, I don't know, everything leading up to that, I don't know. Like, the environment, don't get me wrong, it was very creepy. But I don't know, I didn't feel um, like a dread the same way that I think the the intent was supposed to be there. Um, I mean, I, I it wasn't like all the time, but I definitely felt it peak up in like um, when he's in that tunnel. The meat grinder? Yeah, the meat, uh, the meat grinder. And it's just like five to ten minutes. I don't even know how long it was. Could have been five minutes, could have been 15 minutes, right? Like that's kind of the movie it is. Um, <laughs> uh, of uh, the writer just walking from one end of this tunnel to the other end of this tunnel. And then he sees a door and he's got a gun and the other guy makes him drop the gun. Um, and oh, and especially with like the, the way that, so often the way the movie plays is there'll be like a thing they have to do, right? Like they have to walk to this next spot, which is the next target. Um, and, uh, a lot. So it'll be usually the scenes will often be split into two halves and the first half is just them getting there. But then, and I think this is why, uh, it works so well is that they will often then spend like an- just as long, if not more time at whatever place they were trying to get to, arguing whether they should actually do the thing that they are here to do. Uh, there's lots of reaching doors and then arguing as to whether they should then open doors <laughs> um, <laughs> in a way that felt very real. Uh, and it was very good, yeah. I just I was just overwhelmed by this movie. Like I know this is like a very... Uh, it's, a, like, it's a classic movie, capital C, capital M, not really that far off the beaten path, uh, but I, I loved it. Classic for a reason, I guess. Yeah, no, I felt the same way. Um, it it was a challenge, I'll admit, to, like... I, well, the first... Like, okay, so the first night we watched maybe the first fourth of the film? No, we watched two hours of the movie. <laughs> okay. Yes. And we were both really sleepy. So I'll admit, like, the beginning, it was a, a hard time for me to hold my attention. But... It was such a, like, all that very, like, yellowy sepia that the movie begins with. Mm-hmm. It looks like a, almost like a silent movie or a fairy tale. Uh, and once it gets going and they get out to the zone and the movie becomes natural color and you get the information that, like, it changes every... It's like there's no interval in which it changes, but it cha- changes. The people that come back can't go back the same way they came. Uh, it just grabbed me. It had my heart right then, right when they got to the zone. I was like, okay, this is this is gonna be a favorite. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the part where it cuts and becomes color as they reach the zone is incredible. Uh, like I, I, you know, I'd forgotten. I was so into the movie that I'd forgotten that like color was a thing that you could see in movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it just uh, caught me off guard. I was like, oh right, who? And um, yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing feeling. And then you get there and like, there's no sound. Like there's not even any sound effects, uh, even though there should be because um, they're standing outside. Uh, and there's a lot of that in the film. A lot of like weird stuff with the sound editing. Um, like the the famous one that everyone points to, which is very good uh, and very obvious, is the bit where it's like a big panning shot, and then there's a waterfall in the middle, but you only hear the waterfall when it's like right in the middle of the frame, and then once it goes off, uh, then you just don't hear the waterfall anymore, even though that's not at all how sound works. 
Um, oh, that's so good. And it creates so a really, trippy. yeah, it creates a really cool effect. Disorienting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's how I felt with a lot of the way this movie did, like, space and framing. I'm just like, this is, how did they film this? <laughs> uh, uh, great the answer is cost. twice. <laughs> Three times. At great personal cost, Three yes. times, yes, at great personal cost, yeah. Three times, which is mind-blowing. I'm surprised he didn't abandon it. Uh, they almost did. Yes. Uh, M, do you want to go into the, like, behind the scenes? Because that is a movie unto itself. Uh, so they shot, like, a, a, they spent a year shooting all the outdoor scenes uh, with, uh, let's see, where is the name of their original director? I'm looking through the thing. Sorry. Wikipedia. Was it a uh, cinematographer? Oh, Werberg, yes, their cinematographer. And uh, the the stock was not d- developed properly. And so because, you know, using a new film technique, uh, you know, it's, it's like new Kodak stock that wasn't particularly, like, well... Uh, the expertise was not there in uh, Soviet laboratories to develop the film. So it's like not exposed properly, not developed properly. So uh, the, it's all unusable. And then relationship between Tarkovsky and Rehberg dissolved uh, seemingly because both men were incredibly drunk on set all the time and just hated each other. Um, seems to be the implication here. Uh, and so Tarkovsky got a new cinematographer and went out and reshot the movie. Uh, but in doing so, uh, made it two parts. That's why there's a weird break in the middle. It's like Stalker Part 2. Um, and uh, yeah, reshot uh, basically the entire film. Uh, and then Wikipedia has a very has two separate people claiming, uh, one, that the two movies have nothing in common, and another person claiming that they're basically the same film. <laughs> yes, so classic uh takes yes. there and it got you said it got destroyed in the fire did you did you yeah use, no yeah. i didn't but the original yeah the original yeah. film doesn't exist for comparison because it was all destroyed in a fire yeah so. so he shot it he shot i thought you said he shot it three times so the first time yes. was the damaged film and then there's a then there's a second time in the middle uh with a different cinematographer but not his like old one that got replaced for being shit apparently um, and they did it a third time. But the middle time is the one that everyone kind of skips over in all the uh, things I've looked up. It's like this mythical first one that's what they poured all their time and money into uh, that, that got destroyed. And then there's a, a this other version in the middle that was also filmed but was apparently bad and just the, the magic wasn't there and then they did it over a third time, uh, yes. which is wild. This is so much time making this movie. Yeah. And he put he had to make it two parts because they essentially weren't going to give him the funding to do like one big full movie. So he had to separate it into two in order to be able to afford to finish the thing. Which is very yeah. funny because like at halfway through the movie, there's suddenly just like a big part two stalker uh, like title card, but it doesn't come at a particularly dramatic point. Um, it, and there's no part one title card. No, it just halfway through the movie is like uh, the the movie continues now. <laughs> Um. Yeah, we were we were uh, uh, wondering like as we were watching it because we hadn't looked it up whether it was like originally made for TV like Fanny and Alexander or something like that. But yeah. no, that is not the case. No. Um. So yeah, most of the film is shot in locations of uh, abandoned like you know infrastructure in Estonia. Uh, there's like hydropower plants and power plants and stuff like that, and 
there were active plants nearby, which means that like in the scenes where you see like rivers foaming with like gross toxic waste, that's actual gross toxic waste. And uh, multiple crew members uh, ended up getting cancer in the years following this movie. And Tarkovsky himself died at 54 of cancer. Uh, 10 years after this movie and who can say what would cause something like that but maybe standing out in toxic waste is one of the reasons yep uh also uh his wife and the person who played the writer yeah uh, widespread yes that's unfortunate yeah it, the whole time we were watching this i was like how did they film this movie and two there's no way they didn't come out of this without getting sick because it's clearly a bunch of abandoned buildings that they're filming in. And uh, it's a beautiful movie. It's a shame that uh, he didn't live very long. Because he only died, like, what, five or six years after this? Um, yeah, I think it's the mid-80s, so... Let's check. He uh, died in 86. He died in 86. Yeah, so yeah the year I was born. Uh, so who wants to talk about the stuff? The actual stuff in this movie? Let's talk about the zone. Uh, okay. So, uh, the zone is a weird, like, n you know, nebulous, uh, subjective liminal space that seems to be dangerous, or maybe not. We never see actual danger. We do see uncanny things. But other than them circling back around inexplicably one time, there is nothing that is actually deadly to, to them in the course of this movie. Um... Which, uh, There's also that scene where, like, the writer disappears, or not the writer, professor. the professor disappears for a little bit, yes. and they're like, well, he's gone forever! <laughs> well, they think he's going to go back down and get his bag, and then they push forward, and they come out right where he's at. Like, they circle back around. That's what I meant by inexplicable circling Oh, back sorry. Yes. But, but he's back, and he does have his bag now. Yes. And he's just like, I just crawled here. What do you mean? And everyone's yes. like, what? How did you? But we came the other... Yeah, so there's, like, super weird stuff, but it's never, like... Uh, obvious danger in a way you would think of with movie. Mm -hmm. And there's always like he's always throwing these uh, big like nuts tied to um, bits of cloth. Bandages. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently in the book that's to test if the gravity is normal in those areas. It's never explained what he's testing for in the movie because obviously they, they don't do any weird trick with gravity or whatever. Um, and he does not explain himself. He's just like I'm testing for traps. All the traps are fatal here. Um which is this interesting dynamic in the first part of the movie where uh, the two of them seem very unconvinced that he is actually telling them about real dangers and is might might just be pulling their leg um, until they get closer to the thing and actual weird stuff starts happening and the tension gets to them. What I thought was interesting was when the they first take off for the zone, they're getting chased, they're getting shot at, there's police everywhere, they have to hide in alleys. And then it just stops because uh, I think it's the stalker that says, like, no, they're terrified. They don't want to go any deeper into this place than they have to. And, like, to me, that's when it stopped being dangerous. But so you're kind of uncomfortable because you're like, well, is the stalker telling the truth about the actual zone being dangerous or is it just getting out of? their city to get there that's dangerous and i i liked that kind of mystery uh, later it's revealed that yeah no it's, it sounds pretty freaking dangerous but it's in a much bigger and deeper way mm -hmm. 
Um, and then there's the room, obviously, that grants anyone's desire, um, which is the driving of them going there. Uh, the stalker never goes into the room himself and says stalkers themselves are generally forbidden. Uh, he knew, like, his mentor went into the room once and then killed himself shortly after, and it's haunted him uh, ever since. And uh, the two men, like, he's, like, only desperate and unhappy people want to go into this room and find whatever they desire. Uh, but then as the movie unfolds, the question becomes, what counts as your greatest desire and what does that represent? Um the uh the professor wants to blow it up because he's like if if people could just desire things in this room it could fall into evil hands someone could wish to rule the world or unleash a horrible weapon and i can't have that we have to destroy it um but then once the stalker explains what your deepest desire actually means by his experience um it will just give you what you desire like in your heart even if you don't know what that is you can't control what is your deepest desire people's desires are like innate to their nature and like almost like a fundamental animal instinct. So it's going to give you that. And that's never, that's never like you, I want to rule the world. I want to be president. It's stuff like I would like a lot of money. Um, and thus what it gives you is like a confrontation with like your like animal self or like your smallest self. Uh, and both men balk at the idea of like learning the truth about what they actually want. Yeah. And they all just like go home. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I was shocked. I thought at least the writer would go in there. Oh, the writer, the writer, because he very clearly at the beginning wants to just show everyone that he's a good writer. No one believed him. He was tired of conforming to what the critics wanted. He wanted to write his truth and them all to believe it and buy it. Um, but I feel like he's the first to like see the truth of this thing. Like, if this is what this is, I don't want to know even what my deepest desire is. Yeah, I, 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 I could tell like from early on in the movie that he's not going in <laughs> yeah oh yeah because the bit where he gets separated he's... and sits at the well like he has that big long sequence where he's at the well that seems to go on forever down into the depths um and from that point on he seems very like aware of this place is like real and powerful and that he is not capable of its asks of him yep um which is really good. Jackson, I you said you uh, read a couple, of, a good amount of reviews on this movie. I would like to hear about these because I feel like this is probably t wrapped into this stuff. Um, well, I, it was a good amount. I, I spent about 45 minutes clicking through pieces. I don't have any citations or any, That's like, um, you know, uh, truly important. Like, here's the one you have to go check out. Um, yes, I, I read the I read the Criterion essay that's on the Criterion channel, and that one was mostly about how the sound design is good. And yes. I'm like, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually gonna find the one I'm one I'm thinking of. Um, uh, I found like a guard. Yes, I found a Guardian essay for 2009 uh, that was like, uh, is uh, is a stalker about the gulags? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's talking about the gulags question mark chernobyl question mark eu immigration question mark uh chernobyl didn't happen for like a decade yeah, chernobyl <laughs> happened yes like, years I, after this i get that those things are like really linked but it's the other way around there's a yes. there's a chernobyl zone and then like there's games and series and other fiction that have spun out of connecting those dots oh there's a like interesting tidbit about on the wikipedia page about uh, people who had to, like, after Chernobyl, yeah, the people who were like 
helping take care of some of the victims were calling themselves stalkers. Yep. Yes. And, and that to me was fascinating. But yeah, no, it had what? It happened years before. Yeah. The question uh, that I like piecing together, like some of the history of this stuff and what happened with Tarkovsky is Tarkovsky seemingly had a not great experience with Soviet censors and film commission making all of his movies, uh, especially one called The Mirror, which was before this, um, specifically because he wanted to make movies about religion and that was not allowed under Soviet censorship laws. Um, and also this is late seventies Soviet Union, which is, uh, like the Brezhnev era, which from all of my gathering, and understand that reading Wikipedia about stuff like the Soviet Union is often fraught with propaganda that you have to try to translate uh, and find your way through, especially for, you know, me and Jackson are communists and have certain opinions about the way that uh, Soviet history is uh, portrayed. I found plenty of articles about how uh, the Brezhnev era was a terrible uh but it was the bright spot because everyone saw that the West would actually save us. And I was like, oh, this ain't it. Um, Ooh, yeah, I, I yes. No, my, my space is like a communist is that I have read like theory and have that pretty locked down. But yes. I haven't done the work of like, what is my exact relationship to Soviet history uh, in so, a way that because the only reason to do that is so that you have an opinion when it comes up. <laughs> it's, yes. Uh, but yes. So doing so doing some research with this, the Brezhnev era is defined by, uh, you know, the Soviet Union had rearmed its by the late seventies had armed itself to like detente with America. So that like a, you know, mutual sort of destruction was in place. No one was going to blow each other up. Um, because of the way the purges worked and everyone filled the vacuum after Stalin got rid of the government, everyone here has been around like that long, and so the age of government is up like the average person in government is like in their mid seventies, uh, which is abnormally high. Um, and so you have a older, uh, less effective government that is starting to decentralize and, you know, be gripped with corruption. Uh, this is like, you know, the stuff that would plague the Soviet union until it's fall in the nineties. Right. Um, and you know, this is Estonia, which is already seeing like huge geographical and, you know, uh, economical fallout of, decayed superstructures right of of mm -hmm. government and society um and so for someone who wants to make movies about a lot of stuff in a government that seems like it is teetering in like this end of the world where everyone is like adhering to the party line but clearly doesn't buy like there's no like ideology there it is we're just going to continue apace uh and our bureaucracy will uh, carry us along um uh, the way in which the writer and the professor interact and the stalker's reaction to them at the end, I think makes a lot of sense in like a historical context of like, he looks at these men as like men who have stopped believing in gr like greater things than themselves. Yes. Uh, it is heavily coded that it is like, you know, that what they like, they could have gone and found like answers to big questions like God in the universe. And they balked at it because it wouldn't fit their perception of themselves as like important individuals who wanted bigger mm -hmm. things than just a pile of gold or, you know, whatever the thing is that they want. Uh, and he despairs the idea that no one's willing to do that. And then his wife is like, I'll do that. I'll be the person. If you want to go, we'll go. And he's like, but do you want things? She's like, of course I want things. Everybody wants things. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and the way in which that dovetails into his daughter showing her telekinetic powers and like, there's this real sense of this is like the stalker is a man gripped in the terror that like the people in charge of the world cannot even perceive of a way out and will not allow the younger generation that can do, imagine that space, take their place and achieve it to me anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I like my my general takeaway from the ending of this movie is very much like there is hope, but it is not in the structures. It is in the future of uh, like the promise of new ideas from radically new people and new generations. Um, I think that's a good um, take. I, I can't think of a better word than take, but I like that. Yeah, I definitely took it as. Um... I mean, so my immediate reaction was definitely like more on the religious side, because mm-hmm. uh, same because uh, he definitely is like these people have like they they don't have any any conception of what desire and identity and re- like what you could want beyond the material in right in front of them right like that's what they came here for and then he explains to them that like that's not anything with how reality works and then they go no goodbye <laughs> um, uh, and. So I, I definitely saw it as like partially, like 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 the stalker wants to believe there is more than that. There is like more to life than just the nihilism of everyday existence, right? Um, yeah, because uh, there, there's a bit when he first gets home that he like starts uh, like bemoaning the intelligentsia that they're not capable of uh, like broader, bigger thoughts. Yes. As it pans out of his like living room that is just like a wall of books. Because before this, there's, like, this implication that he's, like, just this working-class guy who's leading these two, like, higher-class men through this dangerous place. And the reveal that he is also, like, a learned man in, like, the way that they would define it, I think, is, like, really important and good as a reveal. Yes. 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 Because it definitely comes in as, like, these two rich men have come to his poor town for him to show them the, like, one little treasure they have. Yeah, because it's a bit early on where the the writer, when he comes to meet the stalker, he's like, he's with this lady and it basically seems like, because she's in like a, a like a full-on gown, like they've been partying all night and he promised to take her to see the zone. Wouldn't that be cool? And the stalker comes in and is like, get the fuck out of here. I'm not taking you. Yep. And then the writer just goes along with it, but uh, he is disgusted. Like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. It's a really good introduction to the writer's character. Yes. He's also drunk. Yes. He's drunk, and he's like trying to because a lot of the movie is like talking philosophy, right? It's characters espousing their worldview, and then other characters espousing their other worldviews in like conflict. Uh, that that's the drama. It's like very traditional, simple stuff um, in a way that's good. But the writer was introduced doing that, but in the fakest bullshit way. Yes. <laughs> with this woman, uh, yes. it's very good. Yeah, the writer is uh, constantly full of shit while He's the so professor keeps his own counsel. He's like definitely a person who will just tell you enough to get you to shut up. Yeah, because the bit where the writer asks the professor, like, "What are you? What are you a doctor of? Are you a physics?" He's like, "Yeah, sure, if you want." <laughs> yep. Uh, just drinking at his at his table. Um, but yeah, so the stalker being put on like a similar like you know intellectual like class like strata as them but being able to perceive something greater i think is like important to because he's the person with like family he's got the attachments he's got the belief in something greater than himself uh that is at the heart of this but i think like i think it's impossible to detangle the religious argument from the like you know ideological political one given that they live in this very constantly bombed out meant to you know it is like decayed soviet state late eight like late 70s stuff there's like no way around the reality of it um but the perception i feel like the movie comes to is like out of that can come something better if you're willing to believe in it it's like a rejection of the nihilism of like the present uh and the past in you know in order to like see something in the future Uh, faith and magic yeah i would i would agree with them with that Uh, Mm um 
because yeah so so i was coming away from the movie and i and i thought like oh that that's really good that ending was amazing um I also, not to the extent of uh, like the specifics of the movie, but I also uh, feel sad about the world and not knowing how to like uh, reconcile. My main desires are to eat and to have some money and to get through the day, right, with what it means to actually connect with people and build a world that's uh, not the worst thing ever. Um, yeah. And so, like, that is a, like, really powerful part of the ending. And then I came out and I was looking at the articles and there was, like, multiple people saying, like, oh, because after this movie, um, he go like, he ends up making his next movie in the West and stays there till he yeah, dies. Yeah, he, he, moves, he moves to Italy for his next film. And then after that goes to Sweden, I think, for his final movie. Mm-hmm. So And there's lots of, like, takes of, uh, this movie is about the dream of the West. Uh, which I I think is a very shallow read. Even if even if like you know I don't know what uh, Takaki was was doing. Even if that's part of it for him, uh, I think I don't. I bet not. the movie is much richer than that. I think I think I think it's about like a frustration with the the world he lives in more yes. than it, like because it doesn't point to anything I could recognize as the West in like a good way. The the like I feel like his fun the fundamental belief of the movie is that like pedantic intellectual individualism will not save you and is in fact a road to hell and that yes. can happen in communist or capitalist states right so like the 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 communism angle of the critique of the movie was funny to me because of how much the movie was like everyone's poor and then this guy gets money and kills himself it's not like we'll be saved by individualism and uh capitalism uh, mm-hmm. it is much more like the the like the pain in the stalker's life and by extension the world that he lives in is much deeper than that uh and is not and so i was definitely found it funny seeing yeah. the simplistic reads of like this this movie agrees with me a hundred percent but also like the the writers like the writers e- like very fragile ego or the professor's willingness to self-sacrifice are seen as like misguided attempts to control a broader situation right like, yes the actions of the individual are never the thing that is good. Uh, and the writer, I feel like, finally wheels around on the stalker even and says, like, your desire to, like, bring people their deliverance by bringing them here is not, like, altruistic. You are doing this because it makes you feel better about yourself because it's the one thing you're good at. Um, when you're, like, you're basically, you know, you've forgotten your child. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that seems great. Um, because, yeah, he's like... It's the one time right in this movie where you've been listening to these two people talk and espouse their views while the stalker is mostly just uh, functional, right? Like he'll talk with yes. them occasionally, uh, but the the two, the writer and the the professor, are the mouthpieces for the uh, ideologies um, that they represent. Uh, and then it like all turns on the stalker in that big argument scene where they fight and go like, "No, you're a character too. You can't escape being a person with petty desires." Um, and the, the scene of him like crying as he's like basically begging them in the uh, in the room, or I guess outside the room, but in the room in the in the water there uh, is excellent because I think his reaction's really good. Is like the way that the two other characters like justify it, justify their uh, positions and go through in circles uh, for most of the movie, and then he basically uh, says to them like, "Yeah, of course, but is that not is that bad? Is it okay? To, isn't that okay to like?" give people happiness is that not what we want um and i appreciated his like actual commitment to the thing he believes uh mm-hmm. i feel like you you realize throughout the film that the professor and the writer are not committed to their beliefs they are uh, 
they have them and they don't like not believe in them but they, they're challenged and they fall down fairly easily whereas the stalker and his belief that, that this is important and that things can be better is like caught to him and uh, he do- he doesn't crack it like uh, uh he he begs for it instead instead of like f- arguing and falling down uh he's just broken I- at the end I mean, yeah, the thing is, though, that, like, pointing out that he also has these desires and wants these things and that they lead him to do things that are, like, like, he is harming his wife and child by bringing them out here. And he will do it every time someone asks. It's very clear. Everyone believes that that's the case. And someday he won't come back. Um, And when he's confronted with that and sits with them, like, they're brought into accord. Like, in in that moment, they are all equals in a way that they are not before and they are not after when they get back and... You know, his wife comes and he goes away with her and they're left drinking because, you know, he has this other thing that they do not. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when they just sit there and the professor slowly throws pieces of the bomb into the water and then the rain comes and it's all swallowed up in darkness, they're all, you know, they're all one person, like living like this true like moment. God, that's good. That final (laughs) shot in that sequence where the rain comes, which I think goes on for about five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, it's really yeah. good. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Um, I think that's all I have, if anyone has anything else. Uh, not necessarily. I really liked it. I, I don't have, like, yes. huge, like, you know, I feel like I agree with most of what's been said. Uh, I, I have my takes that I, I said, and um, I don't have huge, like, here's my very personal read on this movie. I just uh, really enjoyed it, and I should watch more Tarkovsky. Um, yeah. I, I want to get the Blu-ray. <laughs> That's how much I like this movie. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, no, I, I had a I had a nice copy. I guess you watched it on the Criterion Channel. Yes, which was good. It looked great. Um, it, it was remarkable because I uh, I load up. I'm like, oh, 79. Uh, you know, uh, like you know, European film. It might look a little bad. It, restoration on that is great. Like especially the the yellow sequences just pop like crazy. They look incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does have that silent film quality where like a properly high definition, like monochromatic film just looks better than anything else on earth. It's unbelievable. Right. Yeah. It's shocking. (laughs) Um, all right. Question time. If you would like to send us questions, you can send them to podcast at abnormalmapping.com. They can be about the movie we're covering. They can be about any films, really. We'll talk about whatever. Uh, I ask it. No one ever asks just general movie questions. Someone has to step up and be brave enough to just ask us some shit about some movie someday. Uh, Maybe it can be you, dear listener. Um, Jackson, would you like to read our first email? Uh, Yes. uh, Our first email is from Richard. Uh, and uh, Richard asks, do you all think there's anything actually supernatural going on in the zone? After my first viewing, I was convinced that the stalker was making most of it up. Uh, repeat viewings have only reinforced this reading. However, there are a few things I have no explanation for. <laughs> um, uh, yes, there are quite a few things. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's a bird that disappears. There's the undulating ground. Uh, there is the strange non-Euclidean backtrack that happens. Um just the general tenor of like what is like the weird ways in which the like flotsam of human society like exists littered in the ground like they're buried in shallow graves um that doesn't make sense if this thing's been here for like decades right like Mm -hmm. it feels like 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 the the psychic reality of humanity is like washing ashore on this place yeah it's like all the tanks yeah um like something happened here Yes. Uh, and like 
the, the movie does like play with the ambiguity of it is not as any of this real but more just like because you can't actually see any of the danger um it is meant to raise questions of like is are these steps they're taking actually uh worth it is this all uh in their head or whatever i th- I, th- I don't think you're meant to think that it's like fake but i do think there's like an element of whether it's real or invented those are the same thing um yeah all of the people believe like its power comes from the fact that they believe in it and maybe they would all explode if they went off the path suddenly or maybe they wouldn't but the, it doesn't matter the story is the same um both ways the thing has power over them and thus it exists yeah. um even if it like even if like you're reading the movie that it doesn't i think yeah so subjective reality is very thin in the zone y- yes yes what i would say to that uh all right we have some questions from tron uh who's your favorite character in this movie i like the stalker and i liked his wife i think i'm gonna go with the writer i think the writer is the most interesting character i would agree with that i was about to say the writer (laughs) i do the stalker uh the acting of him like just his like wide-eyed sweaty face filling the frame is so good um and that part also kind of reminds me of like silent film. I think of like the passion of Joan of Arc, right? Like where so much of that movie is like long shots of an actor just emoting pain to camera. And the stalker does that throughout this movie and like never gets like reason or catharsis in the, in the same way. And it's really good. Uh, Yes. He's incredible. Um, Yeah. But the writer, I just thought the writer, Oh, Oh, you go. I just thought he was a dick. He was really yeah. arrogant. Yeah, he sucks so bad. Yes. Like him. He sucks. A lot. sucks. That's uh, the fucking worst guy in the world. That's why I like him. He's so full of shit. Yes. Um, <laughs> as someone who like like was also wanting to do creative things, I think that if you are a successful person, you're like, oh, the critics don't understand my true art. That's like a sign in any that character in every movie is an asshole, right? Like, there's no. Yeah. Yes. The only movies where that character is like the empathetic protagonist are written by that person. Yes. <laughs> Um, but at every other time that they show up, they're just the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, watching him be brought low and find this one moment of clarity that he ends up spending on a guy he doesn't even like is very good. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, has any of you explored a man in building? I am afraid of even, in- like, normal houses that people live in, so I would never. Nope. Couldn't pay me to do it. I'm too afraid of, like, getting lead poisoning or like falling through a floor <laughs> the most honest thing in this movie is when they go into this place called the meat grinder and what the meat grinder is is just a long corridor fuck corridors yeah it's like an underground and tunnel it, it's like but- it's like it's a tunnel that just curves in an arc where you can see about like you know 40 50 feet down but once someone goes around the like curve you can't see them so you could be in speaking distance with someone you couldn't see like the entire time and it's just oh, intolerable that's what was so unnerving in the beginning when they're traveling is they just couldn't see each other half the time they were talking to each other yes and like you can't tell from where the camera is but like the fact that they couldn't was so unnerving it's like something out of lovecraft mm-hmm um, I think we've covered all the rest of these that I think, uh, yeah. So Jackson, would you like to read the last email? Um, I will do my best to summarize. It's a very, very long yes, email. Yes, it's a long email. Um, let me just scroll through this email and see what I want to say. Um, 
uh movie festival says for a movie that feels like it was made on no money which uh i must disagree with <laughs> uh, yes this is a very lush movie uh you know shot on location i i don't know if that means a thing is low budget though like you know you go to the place you shoot the thing you shoot the reality of the situation yep. uh, um uh asking if the movie like it's saying the movie's too long for them uh, which it's I, long. I understand. I, it is long. If you are not yeah, time to a law, if you are not like a, you know accustomed to movies that are like this, it's a lot. And even like yeah. so I, I like a long movie if it's good. It's it's a lot. Like we had to watch this over two nights it, both times. Like even today, I was fighting sleep because the movie casts a spell over you where you just want to lie down and be absorbed by whatever the zone is. Um, <laughs> and it's great. Uh, I I find that like a positive. Uh, yeah. Uh, asking about the way the color is used and like there's like a shot with, which is the daughter watching them uh walk past those in color even though it's outside the zone and wondering so the zone seeping outside of the zone and um through the daughter's in- influence because she is a i zone i assumed that the real world like the, the use of color Im- implies that like you are in an otherworldly space mm-hmm uh, because like, you know, the whole thing with her is that not that like, you know, she has a bit of the zone in her because he brought it out with him, uh, that he can't really touch, um, yes. but she is like embodied by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Um, just asking about other, other elements like the dog, uh, the syringes. I, I don't have, I don't have a strong thoughts about the dog other than I'm curious if anyone else has thoughts about the dog. Uh, no, I like the dog though. Yeah, the dog was ominous when I first saw the dog, yes. and then when the dog just turned out to be a dog, I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Yeah, it's just interesting that like this one time the thing he brings out with him is like a companion that, that he's going to like you know say he doesn't want, but then keep around. Yes. <laughs> uh, like to me, the dog like represents like the, the like legacy of a thing. Like I to me, the stalker is not going back in the zone again. But at the end of this movie, no, um, yeah. But he still carries around like the reality of his own with him in his daughter that he doesn't under like he doesn't understand that that's the case. But the dog, which is like an actual memento of like the nature of the zone as like a part of nature itself, which is the thing that the professor says. He's like, we built the bomb to blow up the zone or to blow up the room. Then we realized we shouldn't destroy the zone because it's part of nature, even if we don't understand it. Uh, but I decided I wanted to take the risk and blow it up anyway. <laughs> mm hmm. Yep, and then mentioning the uh, the points where characters uh, look at and address the camera. Uh, yep. uh, no, no strong feeling on that, but I did like it. Mm-hmm. I wish more movies did that, but less in a Ferris Bueller fourth wall hilarious way, and more in a like I just want to talk to you about this way. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, it will only ever be used the first way now. I know it's such a shame. Um, but yeah, that was Alex's email, and um. Uh, I, don't, I don't have anything else. I think I think that's the podcast. Yeah. Again, uh, questions about anything. Podcast at abnormalmapping.com. Next time, uh, we are going to break our uh, rhythm a little bit. Uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi died recently. 
um, uh, who directed Hausu. I think that's his most famous film uh, for everyone in the West. Uh, and a bunch of his movies have been, you know, bundled up and put on uh, like mega uh, downloads for people. Um, you can find a, li a list on our Discord. You can find it around Twitter. Um, but we are going to be watching his Motorbike Her Island, which is a 1986 movie uh, by him, uh, which you can find in those. Um, if I remember, I will try to link that in the description, like one of those mega packs. It has a bunch of his movies, which are otherwise very hard to get a hold of um so you know uh download them keep them the only way to uh preserve obscure movies is to have them on hard drives turns out turns out it's true yeah um i'm excited to watch uh any of his other movies because i've only seen hasu uh which is a movie that uh i would love to cover but i also like you know i feel like most of our discord has seen it me and destiny have seen it obviously jackson you should watch hasu is it scary? I look at it, it says it's no. a horror movie, but I bet it's not. No, it's too silly. Yeah, yeah you would, you, I, I think you the... would just think that movie is fucking awesome. It's a cool dream. Yes. Yes, I've I've seen, I after the uh, Obayashi, I've already was like, I want to watch my Obayashi movies, but it's fucking impossible to find them, even on like the places of the internet. I'm pretty good at finding stuff on the internet, but uh, specifically certain kinds of old movies, they're much harder than like games or anime or stuff, because people yeah. will bring over any awful, horny bullshit from 2010 uh, that's yes. a weird, a weird like, anime that no one's seen, but you try to find movies from this beloved director, much harder. Uh, yeah, so I saw that, and then there was like, uh, trying to avoid the discourse, because someone dying was a good everyone went off on discourse on twitter um, okay i didn't i didn't catch any of that and i don't want to hear it on this podcast but i'll ask you after we're done recording okay destiny no. where can people find you online at fridge buzz now jackson at headfalls off at twitter.com and you can follow the podcasts that me and em do at abnormalmapping.com there's a load of podcasts we do uh, including abnormal mapping uh, we have the disco releasing episode which came out recently not enough people have listened to it i know everyone's stuck at home and not commuting so no one listens to podcasts but i'm very proud of it and i'm gonna plug it here because i'm proud of it <laughs> it's it's one of it is easily top five abnormal mapping episodes if you ask me so. yes no it's one of our which i know our favorites doesn't always like correlate to listener favorites but i'm very proud yes. of it um, and then you can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. If you'd like to support us, you can do that at patreon.com slash mapping for $1 a month. You will get the great Gundam project, which is me and Jackson every Wednesday watching Gundam two episodes at a time. We are basically done with G Gundam next week. We'll be done the week after Last. that. We're starting Gundam wing, which yes! is a show I know a lot of people like, Fuck and yes. we'll, we'll be watching space runaway Ideon with that, which is a, uh, Tomino anime. He's the guy who made Gundam. If you don't know anything about Gundam. So we're going back to Tomino. We're watching an anime that ev like most of the people like new growing up with watched on Toonami in the early aughts. Uh, and I'm, I missed it and I'm excited to get around to it. I hope that I like it. Um, there's art on our uh we have a gundam twitter account for our podcast called uh it's at time to go axis all one word we have art for the new uh season up i'm very happy with it uh i did not draw it <laughs> i'm not that good um but yeah um please check that out you know for five dollars a month or ten dollars a month you get better you know get more things get writing from me and jackson i might write about halloween i have thoughts about michael myers that i think are interesting um you get extra podcasts which often involve movies if you want uh me and jackson to argue about uh, empire online's 50 worst <laughs> movies for a list from 2010 we did that on the most recent episode of white life it was pretty fun a lot of our favorite movies were on that list <laughs> yeah um so uh check that out uh and i think that's it so uh until next time you can look at film discourse 
but don't expect to like them. <laughs>